All right, today's reading is Mark 2, 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Thanks, Rachel. Hello. Good morning, Elevation family. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Kristen. I'm on the teaching team here. I want to say happy Father's Day, especially to all of the fathers here in Elevation and my husband, Dwayne. I want to say thank you to Dwayne and all of you fathers for the ways that you love us, your families, and reveal to us a little bit about God's nature here on earth. So we're in the middle of a series um, titled Health and Wealth Gospel because we're looking at the ways in which our tangible lives can intersect with our spiritual health and wealth. And so last week, Brandon talked about our bodies and how our bodies intersect with our spiritual lives. Next week, we're going to talk about finances. The week after that, we're going to talk about mental health. But today, we're talking about friendship. And Brandon named this sermon, Friends are Friends Forever. And immediately all of us break out in song, right? Singing Michael W. Smith's song, Friends are Friends Forever from the 80s. Um, I have a memory of at least twice my family um, sang this song to congregations that we were leaving. We're missionaries, and so we moved quite a bit. And um, there's a picture of us in the 80s when we would have sang that song, <laughs> Friends are Friends Forever. And I just I have to take a minute to admire the fluffy hair that all of us were sporting and the shoulder pads. I mean, we did the 80s right, I think. Um, so yes, that, we would have sang that song to a couple of our church families when we were um, moving. But we're not going to sing that song today. I'll tell you what else we're not going to talk about today when we're talking about friends or friends forever. We're not going to talk about relational health. We're not going to talk about boundaries. We're not going to talk about how to cultivate friendships or what to do about cliques or what to do if you feel betrayed by friends or if you're feeling isolated. We're not going to talk about these things because I feel they sort of spill over into relational psychology, and that is not something I am equipped to speak to you about knowledgeably. However, we have wonderful people in our congregation who are social workers, therapists, doctors, and if you are one of those people, will you just raise your hand, please, if you are working in the mental health field, nice and high, yes, okay, see, see, we have these amazing people who are trained and educated on how to help us with these 
um, sorts of things. And I personally in my life have found great healing and growth in my relationships and my friendships by speaking to my spiritual director and my therapist. So I would encourage all of us, if you're in a place of struggling with any of these things, with a sense of boundaries and friendships, if you're feeling hurt, isolated, betrayed, please reach out to um, maybe even some of the people here in our congregation. Um, they will be able to give you resources and direct you in that way. So what are we going to talk about today as we talk about friendships? Friends are friends forever. Well, we're going to talk about this story in Mark. We're going to talk about the paralyzed man and his friends who carried him to Jesus. Um, because I think we can learn a really beautiful truth from this story about what it means to be in friendship in a community of other people who are also seeking Jesus. And I think this is the truth that Mark 2 reveals to us. And it's this. That as we are engaged in friendships in a community of Jesus followers, we are called to carry each other to Jesus. We are called to carry each other to Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we jump into Mark 2, into this story set in Capernaum. Now Mark is actually one of the oldest gospels ever, ever written. It was older than Mark and Luke, or sorry, Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke, if you read the three Gospels together, are pretty much identical. Um, but scholars tell us that Matthew and Luke took a lot of the material from Mark, and then they filled in the gaps and, and added some detail. But Mark was the first one that was written. And it's written, and the majority of it, in present tense. Because Mark wanted to put the reader right in the moment with Jesus. Mark wanted for the readers to encounter Jesus in the same kind of way that the early followers of Jesus and the early disciples did. And he wants us to be able to make a decision about Jesus just the way they had to make a decision about Jesus. So we're put in the middle of this, of this scene. We're in this little room, this hot, dusty room in Capernaum. Um, and Jesus, at this point in his ministry has started to rise in popularity. The word has started to spread about this rabbi who is a remarkable teacher, who has a remarkable wisdom about the Torah. And, and as a bonus, he also heals people too. And so people started gathering to follow and listen to him. And even the scribes and the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders were like, we're down with this guy. He's, he's pretty cool. So they all come here to Capernaum to hear him, um, and they're like crammed in the room, and people are like hanging in the windows wanting to hear him, and they're kind of like out on the street wanting to hear him. And in the midst of all of this, a group of friends come with their friend who's paralyzed on his bed mat. And we often think of this group of friends as four people. Um, and the scholars say that, yes, certainly there was four people carrying the bed mat. But actually, there's probably more than four people. There was a good group of friends that were carrying this man to Jesus. And they can't get to Jesus because there's too many people there. And so they decide they're going to take this man up to the roof. And they're going to do property damage. They're going to hack a hole through the roof. And they're going to lower the man down to Jesus. So in this day and age, the houses often had actually steps that went up along the outside of the house because often people would um, sleep on the roof at night if it was really hot or they would use their roof to pray. So these friends take their friend and they carry him up the side of the building, up to the roof, and they begin to um, break a hole through the clay and the beams big enough so that they can lower their friend down. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm imagining this moment. I can't imagine that, the, that everyone there is just sort of like sitting back benignly watching like, oh, look, look, they're like breaking a hole in the roof. I can imagine there's some people like, what are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. Quit it. 
Um, I even, in my imagination, imagine there are some people up there trying to stop them from doing what they're doing. But the group was big enough that maybe there's some friends holding back the naysayers while the other friends are like digging the hole in the roof to lower Jesus down. So they finally get the friend down in front of Jesus. And Jesus isn't mad. He doesn't reprimand them for breaking his friend Simon's house. But he is instead taken with them and with their radical actions. And he looks at the man, and and Mark has this amazing phrase. Mark says, seeing their faith, seeing their faith, Jesus looked at the paralyzed man and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And I think right here in this moment, we have our first insight into what this story can teach us about what it means to be in friendship together in a community of Jesus followers. And it's this, that faith is a resource we can share. Faith is a resource we can share. Um, So I think in this culture, we tend to have this sort of westernized, Eurocentric view that's very individualistic. We tend to think of um, any sort of success we have to do or work we have to do is we have to generate our own energy to do it, right? We have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And I think sometimes this can influence our approach to faith. Like we know faith is important. We know faith is, is crucial to God um, working in our lives. And we think we have to generate this faith all on our own, right? And then if we don't have enough faith, well, then we're just fresh out of luck. But I think what's interesting in this story is we see that, no, actually, we're not in this alone. And I think a lot of cultures outside of Western cultures understand this, that we are intimately connected with one another, um, and that there's a way in which faith can be a resource that we share with one another. And we see this reflected in a really beautiful way, I think, in creation. So in Christendom, as, as, as Christians, we, we sort of believe that God has revealed himself to us in many ways. One way, obviously, is um, the person of Jesus. Um, through scripture, through church history, but we also believe that God reveals his truth through creation as well. And so there's this really beautiful uh, metaphor in the lives of trees that I think reflects this spiritual truth that we're looking at in Mark 2. And there was a writer and a um, scientist named Peter Wollenbin who wrote a book called The Hidden Life of Trees. And he was taking a walk out in the forest one day, and he noticed that there was a stump of a tree. And yet the stump had bark on it, and it was alive, and it was thriving. But it was a stump. It didn't have a trunk. It didn't have limbs. It didn't have leaves. And so he's like, how is this tree still alive? It has no way of getting nutrients. So he went back, and he started researching it. And what he discovered was that in a forest, trees will share nutrients with one another through their root system, especially to the trees that are weak or fallen or hurt. And so Peter Wallenbenz writes this really beautiful passage in his book. He says, why are trees such social beings? Why do they share food with their own species and sometimes even go as far as nourishing their competitors? The reasons are the same for human communities. There are advantages to working together. A tree is not a forest. On its own, a tree cannot establish a consistent local climate. It is at the mercy of wind and weather. But together, many trees create an ecosystem that moderates extremes of heat and cold, stores a great deal of water, and generates a great deal of humidity. And in this protected environment, trees can live to be very old. 
To get to this point, the community must remain intact no matter what. If every tree were looking out only for itself, then quite a few of them would never reach old age. Regular fatalities would result in many large gaps in the tree canopy, which would make it easier for storms to get inside the forest and uproot more trees. The heat of the summer would reach the forest floor and dry it out. Every tree would suffer. Every tree, therefore, is valuable to the community and worth keeping around for as long as possible. And that is why even sick individuals are, suppo are supported and nourished until they recover. Next time, perhaps, it will be the other way around, and the supporting tree might be the one in need of assistance. And I think the friends that day who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus understood this concept, right? That we are all connected, and that if one of us is hurt um, or sick, then all of us are open and vulnerable in a way. And so we are called to carry each other to Jesus and to have faith on behalf of one another, and to share that faith like a nutrient, just like the way the trees share nutrients through their roots, so that we all can, can be in community and relationship with Jesus and thrive. So there's some great mystery here that faith is a resource we can share with one another. And none of us, I believe, is meant to be a lone ranger Christian. And I'd like to take a moment right now to speak to the teens among us. Um, I had an opportunity this last month to go speak at Phoenix, Phoenix Fest, which used to be Pitch and Praise, and I got to spend the weekend with 500 youth from around Ontario and our youth group, and I just have to brag on them for a minute. These teens are awesome, you all, the adults in the congregation. If you haven't had a chance to meet them, they are silly, they're funny, they're goofy, they're authentic. They're sincere, um, they're thoughtful and reflective, and I just so enjoyed my time with them. And I was also so impressed with the youth ministry that Graham and Rachel have here in our church. Um, they and our youth leaders, and I see our youth leaders out there, Nadine and Kaylee and Jim and I don't know, Jordan, all of you, Melody, um, they do an amazing job uh, teaching our teens to live according to kingdom values, not culture values, and to really model for our teens how to live counterculturally. Um, so I walked away that we, we can really convince that we have the coolest youth group in Ontario, and it's not just because our youth pastor has a man bun and tattoos. Um, they're great. He's going to shave it off. <laughs> so back to my message to teens. I want to tell you all, you know, you're, you're at a stage now where in a few years you're going to be out on your own, and you're going to be able to make your own choices about where you're going to live, what jobs you're going to have, and where you're going to go to church if you're going to go to church. And I think our culture and our society can tell us that faith is personal, and it is, it is personal, but it's not isolated. And I think our society can make us feel like, well, as long as we just have our relationship with God in order, church is optional. It doesn't really matter if I find a faith community to, to be a part of. And, and I think that's just not true. We don't, that's not biblical. We don't see that in the life of Jesus and his followers in the early church. None of us is meant to be lone rangers. And I wanted to tell you that, like, Dwayne and I, when we were uh, young adults, we got married— and then we promptly moved across the country to Los Angeles. I mean, we moved about as far away from your parents as any person can move on the continent. His parents are in New Brunswick, minor in Indiana, and we went all the way to L.A. And then because of his job, we proceeded to move about every three or four years. And so we have 
attended seven different congregations in our young adult years, quite a few. And I wanted to share with you all, everywhere we moved, we made sure we did three things. First, we found a job to pay the bills. Secondly, we found an apartment to live in. And thirdly, which was as important as the first two, we tried to find a church. Um, We did find a church. We made it a priority um, to be a part of a faith community. And I want to tell you, teens, the church that you go to does not have to look like this church. It doesn't have to look like the church of your families. The churches we went to, you can see we went to seven different churches, they were so vastly different, and they didn't necessarily look like the churches we were raised in. Uh, We we went to a Southern Baptist church that met in a youth uh, dance club. Uh, We went to a little chapel that was on a hill. We went to a four-square church, and then we ended up here at Elevation that was a Pentecostal church that merged with a Southern Brethren church that meets in a Lutheran building. So that's this big old amalgamation, right? But everywhere that we've gone, we've looked for two things. One, we wanted to look for churches that were alive and thriving, and two, churches that were Jesus-centered. So it wasn't important that the church looked like the churches we came from, but those were the two things that we felt were really important. And so I want to share that with our young people. When you come into your own and it's time for you to build your life for yourself, please remember you're not meant to be a lone ranger Christian. Faith is not meant to be practiced in isolation. It is personal, but it's not isolated. So, okay. So what's the next thing we learn from this, from this, um, this Bible story? I think the next thing we see is that there is a perpendicular ratio for spiritual health. And that perpendicular ratio is that this relationship with God and the relationship with our community, that these two things are interconnected in a mysterious way. And we see this in the Gospels when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask Jesus this question. They say, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And they were actually trying to trap Jesus. They wanted to trip him up. But Jesus did what he always does, which is he took their question, turned it on its head, and broke it open to reveal a whole new way of looking at the world. And he gave them this answer. He said, what is the most important commandment? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And so we see in this verse, in these two commandments, that Jesus says are the most important, this perpendicular relation, ratio for spiritual health, right? That somehow our relationship with God is impacted by our relationship with one another. And our relationship with one another is impacted by our relationship with God. And so I have another thought here for us as a congregation and a community, and it's this. It's no secret we've been through a season of transition in this last year, and that there are many familiar faces and friends who have chosen to leave our community. And for those of us who've decided to stay, we may feel like we've lost our friends and we've lost our community. It may feel like we're isolated again in this community. But I don't want us to believe the lie that it's enough to just come to church and not connect with one another just as long as we're connecting with God. Because as we see from this story and we see through scripture, there is a way in which our our health um, spiritually is connected to our connection with one another. And so I want to encourage us um, to 
reach maybe outside of our comfort zone and befriend some new faces in our community because that's the other beautiful thing about this time of transition. There are new people coming. Um, and this is something else Dwayne and I learned in the seven different congregations we were a part of all over North America is that everywhere you go, and it sounds so cliche, but it's, I think it it's bears repeating, everywhere you go, there are beautiful, wonderful people that you never would have expected to find. Um, I think we get into our communities and we, we find amazing people and we kind of maybe don't explicitly say it out loud, but we fall into this thinking of like, well, these are, this, this is the only place where amazing people, all the amazing people are right here, right? Um, and everywhere I've moved, I thought there's no way I'm going to find friends as wonderful as I had in Bellingham. There's no way I'm going to find friends as wonderful as I've had in Gettysburg. And yet I am amazed, and I shouldn't be amazed, but every single time, everywhere I go, I sort of look up, and as I'm befriending people, I'm like, there are amazing people here too. There are beautiful people here too. And so that's my message to us as we're coming out of the season of transition. If maybe you're feeling isolated, if you're a new person wanting to connect, or an old person who's maybe feeling like you've lost some of your friends, grab the opportunity to reach out and connect. The discussion tables are an amazing way to do that. And frankly, I'll say, Dwayne and I, when we first started coming here in 2015, it was those discussion tables that hooked us because it made it so easy to be a new person and to talk to someone and connect with someone. So thank you, Elevation, for doing those. Those are wonderful. Um, so we see this perpendicular ratio for spiritual health in this story with the paralyzed man and his friends. Jesus is looking at the man who's just been lowered down in front of him, and seeing his friend's faith, he looks at the man and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now this is kind of an odd thing to say because... Uh, the friends weren't lowering him down for his sins to be forgiven. They wanted him to be healed, right? Um, so we might ask, what, what is Jesus doing? Why would he forgive this man's sins? And I think it's because Jesus, being Jesus, sees beyond not just what we think we want, but what we really need. And he sees a deeper reality here. When he looks at the man, he sees a man who is out of sync in this perpendicular ratio. He's out of sync with his relationship with God and his relationship with his community. So when he looks at him, he says, your sins are forgiven. And in doing that, he puts the man back in right relationship with God. And then he heals the man. And in healing the man, he removes the barrier that keeps the man from his community. Because if he is physically paralyzed, he's not able to work, he's not able to serve, he's not able to get out and really mingle. And in that way, his relationship with his community has been ruptured, right? And so Jesus in that moment, I think is so profound, he not only puts him back in right relationship with God, but he puts him back in right relationship with his community. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't... Um, address one other big takeaway we can get from this story. And it's this. There's a question hanging over the story. As I said before, Mark wants to transport us into the moment so we're face-to-face -face with Jesus, just like those early followers. And as we're sitting in the room, we hear Jesus say to the man, your sins are forgiven, and immediately there's tension. And the Pharisees and the scribes start to like wiggle in their seat a little bit. Right? And we know from the story that in their heads they're thinking, wait a second, the only one who has the power to forgive sins is God.
And we might be kind of hard on the Pharisees, like, man, why do they going to be such a killjoy? Jesus is here putting this man back in right relationship with God and right relationship with his community. Why do these people have to be so grumpy? But the reality is kudos to the Pharisees and to the scribes because they actually were picking up what Jesus was laying down. Jesus was saying something really remarkable, and no one else in the room was catching it, but they caught it. They're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. He's forgiving sins? He's saying he's God. And Jesus hears their thoughts. And this is the first point in the gospel where Jesus starts running um, cross, across the grain with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Until that point, they were on board with Jesus. This was a man, they're like, this rabbi's got some really great teaching. He's healing people. But the moment Jesus started to claim that he had the authority and power of God, the wheels come crunching, crunching to a halt. And so Jesus knows their heart. He knows what they're thinking. And so he turns to them and he says, I know you don't believe that I have the power to forgive sins. But what's harder, to forgive sins or to say to someone, get up and walk? And so for us, there's an irony here because it actually might be easier for us to say, your sins are forgiven, Phil. (laughs) I could say that, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that it happened. That's easier to say than for me to look at someone else like Sarah and say, get up and walk, your body's healed, right? For us, we see the tangible But Jesus sees the deeper spiritual reality, and he says, actually, the harder thing, the greater miracle is for me to heal your paralyzed heart. That's actually the bigger miracle than for me to heal your paralyzed body. But so that you'll know that I have the power to heal your paralyzed heart, I'm going to heal your paralyzed body too. And so he says to the man, get up and walk. And the man gets up and he walks. And I love how one of the the commentators wrote in the commentaries I was reading, he said, this man's walking meant that God was talking. Because as soon as the man got up to walk, it meant that God's favor and pleasure was on Jesus. And God was saying, this is my son. He has my authority, not only to heal bodies, but to heal hearts and lives as well. And in that moment, the Pharisees and the scribes had to confront a question. Were they going to believe that that was true about Jesus? Were they going to believe that Jesus had the power and the authority, God's authority, to put us back in right relationship with God and back in right relationship with one another? And they made their choice. They got up and they left, and they began to plot how to kill Jesus. And from this moment forward in the Gospels, Jesus' path turns towards the cross. But you and I, we don't walk out of the room yet. We're still in the room. Mark leaves us in that room. The Pharisees and the scribes have left. The paralyzed man has gotten up and walked, and we are still facing Jesus. And the question hangs over us. What are we going to believe? Do we believe that, God, that Jesus has God's authority to heal our paralyzed hearts and to heal our bodies and put us in right relationship with one another? If the answer is yes... If it's a resounding yes and you say, yes, I do believe that. I do believe Jesus has that power, that he is God. Then maybe we're the friends who are carrying the paralyzed man to Jesus. We're the ones that have the robust, proactive faith. It's not hard for us to believe right now. And so I say to you, then share that faith. That's not a resource only for you. That's a resource to share in this community. 
And so let's look around. For those of us who have that faith easily right now, let's look around our congregation. Who's missing? Who's not sitting in these seats right now because of health issues or mental health issues or because they're struggling and fatigued and confused? Then let's go to them. Let's pick them up. Let's pray over them and let's carry them to Jesus. Maybe for you, you look at this question that's hanging over the story and you say, I want to believe, but I just can't quite get there. I'm struggling. I'm facing a dark night of the soul. I'm confused. I'm tired. I have doubts. Then maybe, maybe we're the paralyzed man laying on the mat and we need our community to rally around us and to carry us and to pray over us and bring us to Jesus. And we can do that here, Elevation, as your faith community. We have those things built into our community. You'll see every few weeks, Patricia and her team are over here offering prayer after service. And that is a wonderful opportunity. If you don't feel like you can pray for yourself, come. Let Patricia and her team pray over you. Or there's Melissa, who's our worship pastor, but she's also in charge of pastoral care. If you know of someone who is sick, who needs meals, who needs us to go pray over them, reach out to Melissa and let her know. If you're one of those people, let her know. Or then Graham is also the youth pastor. He's also the discipleship pastor. And so if you think you'd like to connect to a smaller group, you'd like to be a part of a smaller community where you can share life with, um, reach out to Graham and he'll connect you to the Bible studies we've got going on every month. We've got um, small groups he can connect you to. These resources are here um, because we do believe that we are called to carry each other to Jesus as friends, journeying together, um, trying to follow Jesus. So I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to go into our discussion time, and I encourage you to sit at the discussion tables and reach out and connect with one another today. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for sitting in that room and forcing us to face the question, do we believe that you have the power to put us back in right relationship with God and with one another? Lord, we open our hearts to you, and I pray for those of us who do have that faith, who find it easy to say in this moment, yes, I believe. God, would you reveal to us, Jesus, show us. Um, Who is missing? Who's in need of us carrying them to your feet? Who can we minister to? Show us and lay them on our hearts and then give us um, the self-discipline and the energy to be able to go and share our faith with them. And then, Lord, I pray for those who are maybe more like the paralyzed man on the mat who want to believe, but our faith is so ragged and tired and riddled with doubt, and we just don't feel like we can get there on our own. Lord, I pray that you would be close to us in real and tangible ways, that you would make your love felt and known, um, especially through this community, that we would carry one another to you. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to be in community and to feel your love because of our friendships and our relationships um, as well. In your name we pray, amen.